guys, it's John Nelson, and this is the Starting Block Podcast. This, guys, is a show for complete athletic development. Our mission here is to give you the tools to win, whether you're the athlete, the parent, the coach. We want to give you the tools to win, and we want to connect you with people across the country who know how to win as well. Now, if you're new to our show, first off, I want to welcome you. appreciate you joining us. And let me give you a breakdown because we are a little different than your standard podcast. We have actually multiple shows within the show. So the first episode you'll hear from us is going to be a biweekly Q&A. That's where myself, my co-host, Chris Scarborough. Good. What's up, man? Good afternoon, guys. That is where Chris and I will take the questions you submit to us and we'll answer them. These questions can be anything related to training, performance, rehab, nutrition. If it falls in the realm of performance or rehab or nutrition somewhere there, we'll take care of it. And, uh, guys, the questions you all have been sending us have been awesome. I appreciate it. We have a list of them. We're going to get to every one of them as quickly as we can. Chris, where can they submit those questions? Info at startingblockpodcast.com. Yes, info startingblockpodcast.com. Don't mind if you DM us, but we prefer that you email it to us just so we can keep up with it. Um, so appreciate you for emailing those to us if you don't mind. The second episode that you'll hear from us is our other biweekly episode, and that is our guest interview. And that's where we sound like every other podcast out there, where we bring in our colleagues and, uh, and friends from across the country, and they share their stories of how they win, what they do with their clients, patients. I mean, these, these guests doctors, therapists, coaches, um, kind of everybody. And uh, that's what today is. And we're going to bring our guest on here in just a second. But, uh, you know, one of the reasons we do the guest interviews to help connect, you know, our listeners with some of these awesome practitioners and people that share the same core values and mission that, you know, that we, um, that we hold here at this show. So that's our guest interview. And the final episode is our Friday Fire in Fact, and that doesn't come out every week as we've talked about, guys, remember. Um, so if you don't see an episode from us on Friday, it's because I didn't have anything interesting to say, if I'm just being real. Um, so, yeah, real talk is I'm only going to put those out when I feel like there was something uh, worthwhile, maybe more mindset, business-oriented that I, I wanted to share. So when that's what those are for. Taj Mahal chicken coop. Yeah, yeah, well, that's, uh, that's done, finally. Yeah, um, yes. yeah but, uh, yeah, so if I have time. And then, uh, yeah, remember, pay your dues, guys. That's all we ask. This, uh, you know, we do this because we, uh, we love this. We've all been in this industry a long time, and we just want to connect you guys and share knowledge so you guys can win, regardless of where you are, whether you're an upcoming coach, you've, you've been a, you know, a therapist or a doctor for years, or you're a parent just trying to figure out what the hell to do because there's so much information out there. Um, we just do this because we want to see you guys win. Um, so that's all our housekeeping stuff. Let's get to it. Today, we have a very, very special guest on that I'm looking forward to talking to. Guys, I would like to welcome Dr. Jen Perez of Gate Happens to the show. What's up, Doc? Ooh, I'm, excited. <laughs> I'm super excited to be here. I'm excited to talk to you guys. Uh, one question I forgot to ask, is there video or only audio? There is video and audio. Okay, so cool, everybody's going to be hands. able to see your really cool hat that we already talked about. Yes. Sweet. I like almost started <laughs> dancing when the, the music came on earlier. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if people can see me. So Yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of the goal. Is like We know that if you're going to listen to this like in your car, you're secretly going to be rapping along. Like That's oh, just yeah. uh, that's how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> so um but yeah i mean gate happens uh, i mean you guys have uh have an, an incredible um social following um you guys put out some just in incredible information but uh you know for the listeners who may not you know know really who you guys are i mean kind of 
yeah, sum yourself up there if you don't mind. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So Gate Happens, we are we're, we call ourselves a virtual global education company. Our, we are centered around teaching the world about the power of building your health from the ground up. So what that means is is really starting at the foot and looking at what can we do to build balance, mobility, strength, function, all of these things that kind of go ignored really anywhere below the knee, you know? And so looking at not only putting this information into the people's hands so that they can help themselves, but also into the, the hands of coaches, athletic trainers, clinicians, um, anybody that can also help other people because our mission is really to help as many people as possible. So by being kind of the teacher's teacher, we also get to reach more people. How did you guys get started? So that's a great question. So myself and my business partner, Dr. Courtney Conley, um, she started Gate Happens. Um, number one, because so she started with a little bit of a foot obsession. Uh, and, <laughs> and it's kind of a funny story. So the way that we actually met is that I was still, so I'm, we're both chiropractors by trade. Um, and I was still in chiropractic school wanting to specialize in shoulders. I had bilateral frozen shoulder, which means that I could not oh, wow. raise my arms above my head for six years. Um, anyone who knows anything about frozen oh, shoulder, wow. that's usually Jeez. in an elderly population. And I had it at 18. Um, and so I wanted, I went into school. I wanted to basically cure my shoulders and then cure all the shoulders of the world. And I went to this rock tape course uh, to learn how to tape shoulders. And the instructor would not shut up about feet. And here I am wanting to learn about shoulders. And I'm like, nobody cares about feet. Like, stop talking about the foot. And by the end of the weekend, I was like, I care about feet. Everybody needs to care about feet. And that instructor was Dr. Courtney Conley. And so flash forward now seven years later, we have Gate Happens together. And we're trying to teach the world together about feet. So we really got started based on uh, seeing a need of this information isn't out there. And it's not out there, not only to the public, but also in schools, in programs. You know, we barely touch on the foot and people get this kind of cookie cutter, like give everybody a towel grab and roll on a frozen water bottle. And that's the end of the day. Right. And it, it's mm -hmm. just not enough. So yeah. that's where we came from. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it's a really cool story. And I, I was I was asking it because of that, what you said right there, like nobody talks about feet. Now, granted, that has changed a lot over the last, you know, seven, 10 years and largely due to you guys for sure. Yes. But you know, like I, I make, you know, I make a joke about it cause it is what it is. Like we, we live down South, like I'm in the South. Okay. And so when you try to tell some folks around here, like, Hey, your feet are really important and they influence like everything up the chain, you, you know, people tend to kind of look at you with two heads sometimes, um, you know, and so it's kind of been a little bit of a battle of like, look guys, like we train barefoot for a reason, like your feet are very important. So I just, I think it's funny to hear just, you know, how it's kind of the same thing. Like, why am I, I'm here for my shoulders. Why the hell are yeah. you talking about my feet? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I got exactly. a kind of a follow-up question along that along that line. So let me just kind of paint a picture for you because I want to kind of take the, I want you to take this wherever you want to take it. So I am okay, Mister uh, Mid Fifties guy or girl, you know. Um, You're old. It's I, okay. Just yeah, say it. Yes, I am. All right. Stop. So, stop. Stop denying. You know, you got to get past those stages right there. No, we got to leave the about, denial behind. Okay? This is about anybody <laughs> except me, John. All right. So. <laughs> So anybody, okay, they, they, they come into your office. They've got, you know, plantar fasciitis, posterior tib tendonitis. I mean, any one of the 
below the knee itises or, or pain or whatever. First of all, years past, it was, no, don't go around barefoot. Get, get more, you know, get more padding in the shoe. You know, get, you know, let's get more of this, more, more padding, uh, more cushioning, more blah, 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 fill in the blank. Where has that changed? And does, depending on what the pain is, does that differ and uh, does that make a difference in how you treat that individual's issue? Yeah, that's such a good question. It really is. So I think just in general, in, in healthcare, regardless of what facet of healthcare you're in, we can only do what the information we currently have tells us to do. Right. So, I mean, you look at the 1800s and, and bloodletting was the standard of care. Right. We obviously know things past that now. So things change when we learn new information and something might come out next week that completely changes the game again. So everything that we teach now is based off of the most current research, the most current practices and what we currently know. Um, so I think kind of going back to your question of, well, it used to be more support, more cushion, more, 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 more. And now we're kind of peeling that back. And so I, I'm going to kind of split this into two different answers, if you will. So the one part of that that is actually beneficial is offloading symptoms, right? And I think that that's where we had the best intentions of trying to support the foot and trying to incorporate this cushion was we found, okay, it helps with symptoms. It helps them feel better, right? But the, the kind of catch-22 there is the long term. And that's what I think kind of got overlooked when we went really, really heavy on this like maximalist shoe um, wave, if you will. So in the short term, we can find that more cushion, um, maybe more of like a rocker shoe where the toes are lifted or an orthotic, something that's going to help guide the foot can help offload those symptoms because like you were saying before, maybe the posterior tibial tendon is under a lot of stress or maybe the plantar fascia is under a lot of stress. And if we can move those stressors away, we're going to feel better. But then at the end of the day, right, it's the same thing as if, you know, if you came in and you were like, I have back pain right? And I have terrible, terrible back pain. Well, okay, let's get you in a back brace so that you can live your life without pain. But do you expect to be in that back brace for the rest of your life? No, right? Like you expect, okay, so I'm going to be in a back brace for now, but then what are we going to do? Am I going to build strength? Am I going to build mobility? What's the game plan here? Because I'm not living my life in this back brace. But that's where things kind of got left behind at the foot was we were like, okay, let's put you in a cushy shoe. Let's give you an orthotic, go live your life. And instead of having an exit plan where we started to build strength and mobility. And that's now where we are in kind of the more current style of treatment is if we are going to offload, which doesn't always have to happen, but if the symptoms are severe enough, if we're going to offload, how do we then have a plan to exit out of that and also build strength and function um, and everything else? And then if we don't need that kind of maximalist shoe, well, what if we go the other way and start to take a little bit of shoe away and go barefoot or go in a thinner shoe that actually allows the foot to function and maintain its strength rather than seeing that gradual atrophy over time? Sorry, that was a long-winded winded answer. No, no. I want you to go, like I said, I want you to go where the, where the question takes you. But So you mentioned something about back just a minute ago. Mm-hmm. So clearly... I mean, gait happens, and we realize you just said you know, everything really from the knee down 
but clearly you've seen your treatments. You know, I'm not, not, not a specific issue, but, but you have seen treatments work for injuries or pain or whatever in parts way above the knee. Oh, absolutely. So, right. Yep. And you and both from a biomechanical perspective, but also from an anatomical perspective, it's all connected, you know? So when we look at actually one of the really cool areas, um, it's not necessarily the back, but one of the really cool areas where we're seeing more focus in treatment right now is the connection between the foot and the pelvic floor. Because pelvic floor is just like you were saying before, like the foot really wasn't really talked about. Neither was the pelvic floor. And it's another area of the body that's starting to come more towards the the forefront. And it's an area that a lot of people have issues that they don't actually either realize are issues. They think like, especially postpartum women, you know, talking about like runners or athletes after birth, like they think like, oh, it's normal. Like when I run to pee a little bit and it's like actually common and normal are two different things. And so to your point, yes, we can absolutely see changes by connecting the foot with other body parts because fascially there's literally the deep fascial line that connects posterior tibialis to the pelvic floor and biomechanically we also know that setting up your feet for success having a solid foundation that's stacked upright is also going to give you better pelvic alignment better core alignment so we can have better intra-abdominal pressure which is also going to affect not only the back the spine the rib cage but also that pelvic floor Right. Nice. So I want to get back to the assessment side of things a little bit. So in general, like what are the parameters that you guys are typically looking for? Really, I guess in general for anybody, whether they're coming in for a rehab scenario or maybe they're just, you know, um, looking for, you know, performance, you know, improvements. What are some of those parameters and, and things that you really do like to see? Yeah, it's a great question. So I would say as far as like, so general things, like we're always looking at balance, number one. Can we balance for 10 seconds, eyes open, 10 seconds, eyes closed? And you would be amazed how many people cannot do that, right? And especially if we're talking about athletic performance, okay, because walking and running is majority on one foot. So if we can't actually control our body when we're on one foot, whether we're talking about foot, hip, core, whatever, that's a major red light. And that's definitely an opportunity to improve performance. Um, so balance is one. Heel raises is another. I think heel raises as an assessment is really, really powerful because we can see calf strength. We can see foot strength. If they start gripping their toes, we know that there's some kind of instability, whether that's a lack of strength at the foot or somewhere higher up the chain, like hip instability, something like that. We can also look at load distribution with calf raises. So when they go up, do they have a tendency to rock to the outside of their ankle or are they able to transition through that big toe, which is what they should be doing at push off. So any kind of like speed athlete should have good power moving through the big toe. So when they do a calf raise, if they're pushing to the outside, then we might see that lacking power at push off, whether we're going sagittal plane or, you know, going more of like cutting stuff like that, we still need power out of the big toe. Um, Another parameter we're looking at is we always measure toe strength, uh, which people always laugh. They're like, is that actually something that you can measure? Uh, and yes, we have a toe dynamometer, uh, which is a little device that I can get a uh, an actual number on. And I'm looking for, te- so baseline, base populations, anybody should be able to hit 10% of body weight out of their big toe. 
And then we're looking for 7% of body weight out of the outer toes, right? Big toes, big for a reason. It should be stronger. Um, but then in our athletic populations, those numbers should almost double depending on what kind of and what level of athlete we're talking about. Uh, and I will say that the people that come into my office are typically in pain, but I can count on my hands how many times someone has come in and they have hit those numbers out of gates. So most people are lacking in intrinsic foot strength. Why is that? Oh, it's such a good question. <laughs> such a good question. And this is speculation, right? I can't say that like this is like proven by the research, but I will say going back to that kind of shoe conversation is when we're in a shoe that does the work for us, we don't need to do the work. Right. So over time, that's going to lead to atrophy. So when we have a shoe where we can get away with not actually activating the muscles of our foot, then we don't use the muscles of our foot. And over time, we lose the muscles of our foot. Um, that's one piece of the puzzle. The, the other piece of the puzzle when it comes to footwear is the shape of the toe box. So if we uh, so for anyone who doesn't know what a toe box is, the toe box is the shape of the front of the foot. So in front of the laces here. Most shoes, including like your trainers, your sneakers, most of them, if you were to put your fingers on the sides of them, your fingers would point towards each other, meaning the front of the shoe is angled inwards, okay? And I'm not just talking about your stilettos here, okay? But the foot is shaped with the toes facing straight forward. So if I put my foot into a shoe that makes my toes go like this, then I am absolutely affecting the function of the foot. Because there's something, and I don't want to get too technical here, but there's something in the foot called the tie bar mechanism. And essentially, as our foot is able to spread, we stiffen a ligament that crosses our forefoot, which also stiffens the plantar fascia for us to be able to push forward. So without getting that spread, we can't get that basically stiffening of our foot in a good way. So we lose out on the activation of our foot there too. So I've got a question specifically, by the way, uh, Dr. Jen, earlier today on the day we're recording this was also doing an Instagram live and I was, I caught part of it. And th now this was a particular person, all right, that, that happened to agree to be uh, an assessed for video, but they were not able to get the base of their big toe down. In other words, mm -hmm. they, you know, they, so they, they, the base, so in other words, I guess that transverse arch, that transverse uh, ligament that you were referring to just now is, was that somehow when that related? Yeah, yes. Are those two things related? Yes. I've got my toys. All right, cool. <laughs> okay, I don't go anywhere with my hand, without my handy dandy uh, foot model here. Awesome. So they they're related, but they're not exactly the same thing. So, but I do think that this is important for people to understand because it's something that. I mean, I'm working with like 90% of my patients on getting through the big toe. Like if there's like two big takeaways of like, what can I do for my foot? It's strengthen your foot and move through your big toe, right? Uh, so the moving through, through the big toe. So essentially when you look at the toe and you guys can see that, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we're looking at the big toe from the inside here. If I was to just lift up my big toe, can you see how all I'm doing is just jamming the top of that joint? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So the way that the big toe actually works is it's a slide and roll mechanism. So essentially, if I push down through the ball of my foot, now I can actually slide upwards. And I'm exaggerating here, okay? Your toe doesn't dislocate. But when I slide upwards, that allows me to roll over the top 
of that joint. So that is how the big toe works. And so in that case that you were talking about, basically um, that person had a history of ankle sprains. She wasn't able to make good contact with the ball of her big toe. And as a result, she was getting pinching at the top of the big toe. And the whole reason was because she wasn't able to get that downward pressure that allows that sliding mechanism of the big toe. So in that, so now with this same person, I'm not now this this particular individual didn't seem to have a very large bunion, but would that same mm-hmm. issue not be likely to lead to a bunion on that same side? Yeah, I mean it's kind of the chicken and the egg. I would say so that uh, the the typical diagnosis there is functional hallux limitus, where essentially because we're limited in range of motion, um, that's kind of the the term that we throw around. And more so, if I can't go through the big toe, now when I go into walking or when I go to run or do any kind of sport, jumping, whatever it may be, right? Because I have pain at the big toe, I'm going to avoid that area and I'm going to either do it by going off my outer toes Or in most cases, I actually end up spinning my foot outwards and going across my big toe instead of through my big toe. And that case where I'm going across the big toe, you can see that now over time, that's going to contribute to that hallux valgus angle, which can also contribute to bunions. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's. And, <laughs> you know, I'm, it's I'm, all related, I'm, you know, that's why I'm like, if you can build strength and move through your big toe, you're in good shape. Yes. Yes. Okay. So. John, do you have a question? You look like you're pondering something deeply. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm listening and thinking. I've got one or two, but go ahead and go. Okay, Keep going. so, all right. Because I, I, I know I hate to do this because, I, you know, we, we have so many people that listen to this. But I want you to please show that one more time. And I want, I want to encourage anyone who's listening to go watch the YouTube video of this. Because we have, we've talked about ankle sprains, I don't know how many times. Yeah, and, a lot. You know, if we can prevent one, you know, because you know we see we see a lot of ankle sprains. If we yeah. can prevent one, well, that's this is worth it. So, absolutely. And the 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 thing with ankle sprains, right, is once you have one ankle sprain, you're more likely to sprain your ankle again. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of cyclical. So going into that even just a little bit further, right? So we have, and I'm going to do my best to to verbalize as well for those listening, Um, but we have muscles that go down the outside of our leg called your peroneal muscles, okay? The updated name is your fibularis muscles, but we're going to stick with peroneals. So the peroneal muscles come down the outside of the leg, all right? And when we go into an ankle sprain, we end up stretching not only the ligaments, right? So when we say sprain, we're talking about the ligaments, right. but we end up also stretching the tendons of those muscles. So now they're in a disadvantaged position, okay? Those muscles are the ones that help you get to the big toe, okay? Because what they do is they evert the ankle. So they help us put contact through the big toe, Okay. So number one, our muscles, the peroneal muscles are already in a disadvantage, okay? We also have another muscle, all right? There's not going to be a pop quiz. Don't worry. You don't have to memorize these names. But there's another muscle called your flexor hallucis longus. It's the muscle that pushes your big toe into the ground, okay? So that's one of the most important muscles when it comes to a powerful push-off, right? 
That muscle also starts on the outside of the leg. And that, I will say, is one of the most overlooked muscles when it comes to ankle sprains. Because if you do rehab, which you should rehab ankle sprains, please don't just be like, oh, I walked it off, you know, because it's really important to reestablish the strength there. But if you do rehab ankle sprains, a lot of times we're strengthening those peroneal muscles, which are super, super important, but we miss the big toe. And so now you might have regained strength on the outside of the ankle, but we still don't have good strength out of the big toe. And again, if I don't have that push off, through the big toe, I am more likely to either now push off on the outside of my foot, which again, is real easy to tip over into an ankle sprain. So now we have recurring ankle sprains, or I go around my big toe. I turn my foot outwards and I go around my big toe because I don't have the power to push through. Gotcha. Guys, I'm going to encourage everyone again, if you're listening, if you're just listening to this, because we had a, an actual, uh, skeleton, model here that Dr. Jim brought on and you can actually picture what we're saying. Um, you know, and that's one, and, and that's, you know, one thing I wish we all had with, uh, where we discussed training. It's like, sometimes we got to demonstrate stuff. Well, that was a great, that was a great model. Okay. Sorry, John. Yeah. Like I said, no, sorry, no, no, that was great. Cause it got me thinking of kind of the next thing we were just, we were talking about the peroneal muscles and, you know, and yeah, obviously we focus on them a lot during, you know, ankle recovery, but it's just, it's a very common theme. I, I tend to see the peroneal muscles, particularly the longest, just consistently inhibited with, I mean, all kinds of populations. And, you know, I've never really had an answer for why, you know, um, I mean, yeah. but you're saying that the big toe can definitely influence that. Absolutely. And vice versa. Right. Mm -hmm. So absolutely. Peroneus longus. So when I was talking about the, the head of the first metatarsal, how it has to go down in order for the big toe to extend. Right. So the ball of the big toe has to go down in order for the big toe to extend. The muscle that does that is peroneus longus. So I think it kind of goes both ways of, you know, if we have an inhibited peroneus longus, then we're not going to be very good at moving through the big toe. Or if we're not very good at moving through the big toe, then we're going to alter our mechanics and not use peroneus longus. So then we end up with an inhibited peroneus longus or a weak peroneus longus, whatever you want to use there. So, you know, I, I wish I had the like the magic sauce to be like, this is why everybody needs more peroneal work. <laughs> but I don't. But I, what I can say is it, it goes down to that. If you don't use it, you lose it kind of. Uh, adagy, right? So if I don't move through the big toe, if I walk with my toes turned outwards, then all I have to do is roll across my foot and then the peroneals don't have to be super active, you know? So that's definitely one population we see really often. So is it because they're turning their foot out because they have limited big toe range of motion? I don't know. Is it because they're turning their foot out because they have limited ankle range of motion? I don't know. Is it because they're turning their foot out because they have limited hip range of motion? I don't know. And that's where the assessment comes in because just because I'm seeing a certain pattern doesn't tell me where the problem is. It tells me that this is the way they've learned to move. And now I need to go in and figure out why. Awesome. What, let's get into the performance side of stuff a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, I, I would just, I'd love to hear, you know, your take on what you want to see you know, the foot doing in more of a dynamic movement. So whether that's running and it's, you know, the push off or, you know, the absorption phase, like, you know, landing, um, any of them. I, mean, I just kind of like to hear what you see or the mechanisms of movement in the foot there. 
Yeah, awesome. I'm gonna bring I'm gonna bring my foot model back. Okay. Uh, so, so basically, guys, you're gonna have to watch on YouTube. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's awesome. It helps drive drive our YouTube page up. Yes. So. <laughs> keep keep I'm so going. Glad this wasn't audio only. Okay, so. When it comes to the foot, there's two main functions of the foot, okay? Number one is shock absorption. So this is where we're talking about, like you said, landing a jump, right? Our volleyball players, they go up, they got to come back down, okay? So being able to, when the foot hits the ground, being able to spread, splay, and absorb the shock that comes from the ground. Because we know for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, right? So when I hit the ground, the ground hits me. And that force has to go somewhere. So our first line of defense is the spreading of the foot. Okay? So that's number one. Right? That also goes, for the record, when it comes to the gait cycle, when I'm hitting the ground. Right? So as the foot hits the ground, the first half of the gait cycle is all shock absorption. Where I'm trying to kind of see that arch lower, change shape. I should be spreading. We should see that pronation. Pronation is not a bad thing, by the way. It is not a bad word. It is a necessary motion at the foot. So we pronate, we lower that arch, we shock absorb. The second half is now propulsion. This is where now the foot needs to stiffen, right? So think of stiffening like stiffening a a diving board, right? We want to be able to, to jump off, so we need it to be stiff. So we want the foot to then kind of lock and stiffen so that we can propel forward. And this goes with running. It goes with jumping. Really any of the motions where we're trying to move start at the foot. So that is the two roles of the foot. Those are the two main things that I want to see out of a foot, especially when it comes to my athletes. Can their foot lower and pronate and shock absorb well? And then can we get into that stiffened position to push, jump, run, whatever it may be? Which if we so let's to that, go ahead, Chris. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. What were you saying? Just going back. I mean that that and that still goes back really to what you're saying earlier about you know we're talking about the you know getting the uh, the I guess the transverse ligament. What, what I forgot the name of the ligament goes from big toe to pinky toe. Yeah. So the deep transverse metatarsal ligament. The deep. <laughs> yes. What? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That one. Oh, that one. This guy. Oh, that one. This guy. <laughs> yes. That one. So that's so. That all, I mean, that basically, if you almost have to go back and listen to that part again in order to truly understand what you just said now, because those two things would go hand in hand. That's what's going to create that Absolutely. spring back the other way and everything else. Or the yep. Yeah, and I love that, right? It is, that's exactly what it is. It's loading the spring and then releasing the spring. Yes. Yep. So talk a little bit about the pronation side of it. You said pronation is not a bad thing. Yeah. Why? <laughs> and to so, what degree? <laughs> yeah, right? So I think going back to the conversation we had earlier of like common conceptions we, ha- we used to have, right? Uh, it, for a long time, people became scared of pronation. They're like, oh, my feet are pronated. My feet are pronated. Well, pronation is just emotion, right? I would love to kind of simplify and say that pronation is lowering the arch and supination is raising the arch. For the sake of simplicity, if you're listening, that's what we're going to roll with, okay? But really, the motion at the foot is much more complex than that, right? If you look at the, the structure of the foot, we've got 28 bones, 33 joints, hundreds of muscles, tendons, and ligaments. It's a very complex structure, 
right? Um, it's actually a structure that a lot of engineering is based off of, thanks to Leonardo da Vinci. So if you want to be super nerdy, you can go look into his research that all started with the foot. Um, but, oh shoot, now I got derailed. What was I saying before? <laughs> I don't know. You derailed me too. Well, um, I know something about engineering. We're, we're back to what well, I was going to say. Yeah, because you're dealing with you're dealing with arches and you're dealing. Oh, pronation. Why is yeah. pronation a yeah. bad yeah. thing? Yes, exactly. I'm sorry. Hey, so, it's authentic. I told you. We, this is, there's no script here. This is authentic, and there's no editing so, either. Okay, perfect. So with pronation, right? So the whole idea is that the foot. It's really more of like a. Um, if you imagine the movement of a jellyfish, right? It's kind of this like flow back and forth. And so pronation is the lowering part of that. It's how the foot kind of lowers to the ground and spreads and absorbs shock. So it's absolutely necessary for it to happen in order for us to absorb shock. Now, what's the normal quote unquote amount of pronation? Well, in the gait cycle, we need about three to four degrees. It's not a lot of motion, but it's a very important motion because if we don't have it, so more of our, our technical term would be more of a, a Pez cavus foot type that's very locked and rigid, right? Now we're not going to see a lot of shock absorption. We might be at a higher risk for uh, stress fractures at the metatarsals, for example. We might be at a higher risk for knee pain because that shock has to go somewhere. And if we're not dissipating it through pronating, then it's going to go somewhere else, right? So pronation is a good thing. It just needs to happen at the right rate and in the right amount. Yeah. Yeah, because we always talk about, you know, like Chris and I have had these conversations, you know, about, you know, we call it inside ankle bone high, you know. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to say completely avoiding pronation, but trying to maintain that type of alignment. And so, you know, when we say pronation is not bad, it's just it's interesting to hear your take on it and and how that uh, affects things going up the chain. Um, yeah. It's just a- well. So there's a, a cool quote, and, I, and forgive me because I forget who said it, but it's like pronation is like a bank robbery. You want to get in and get out. Right? <laughs> that is a pretty good quote. I like Let's that. Go with- All right, John. There's one to steal yeah. right there. There we go. Yeah. yeah. Oh, don't. Oh, don't worry, Jen. I, I'll take that from you. Um, <laughs> well, so you're what? not taking it from me. Like I said, I can't remember who said it. <laughs> All right. So for like. For, I guess, the general public, I mean, for, you know, a trainer listening to this or, you know, a coach of a team, um, you know, what are, not trying to assess, like, imbalances in the, in the foot, but just what are some good average type of exercises, warm-ups, activations, just, you know, things that, you know, we should all kind of be doing before we, you know, get in the gym or before we hit, you know, the baseball field or something? Yeah, fan- it's such a good question. I mean, when it comes to just general foot health, right, I think, number one, talking to the tissues. Because the foot is such an ignored part of the body, it's like many people, we wake up in the morning, some people even have indoor house shoes, right? So we wake up, we put in our house shoes, and then we go live our life, we go to our outdoor shoes, and then we come back, and the only time our foot sees air is like the 10 seconds before it hits the mattress. So I think just kind of giving your feet room to function and be a foot, you know, whether that's walking on the grass a little bit, letting it feel the texture, letting it move and splay, um, all great things. As far as kind of exercises go, I think 
If you're going to do some kind of foam rolling routine or mobility ball routine, add rolling the foot to it. It's a great way to talk to the tissues. Great way to kind of stimulate the fascia a little bit. Um, I think another way is waking up dexterity and that connection to your feet is doing something called toe yoga. Uh, this is coming a little bit more mainstream, so a lot of people have heard of it. But essentially, you should be able to move your toes pretty much in most of the same ways that we can move our hands. Because except for the opposable thumb... Otherwise, we have all the same structures in our feet as we do in our hands. So toe yoga is essentially starting with your toes on the ground and then just raising up your big toe by itself. I can see you're totally trying this right now. <laughs> so lifting up your big toe by itself and then bringing that back down and then just raising the outer toes without the big toe and kind of going back and forth here. Number one, it's going to talk between the foot and the brain because if you have a hard time with this, you're going to know like, I'm telling it to do it and it's not working. It's not listening to me. That's that foot brain connection. Number two, it's going to work on dexterity. Number three, it's going to work on strength. So that's a great place to start. Spreading the toes, whether using your fingers between the toes to kind of get in there and loosen up the tissues or actively spreading your toes. So now lifting up your toes, spreading them out wide, and then lowering them back down and trying to see how much spread you can get between your toes another great exercise. And then as far as athletic uh, ability or uh, athletic performance, I think the calf raise is one of the most underutilized uh, exercises, both standing and seated, especially for your endurance athletes, right? Whether we're talking about marathon runners or soccer players, I think uh, soleus strength. Um, so the soleus actually, our goal for the soleus when we're doing like back to running protocol is one and a half times body weight for a seated calf raise. That is a very high amount of weight that not a lot of people can do. And that's for about 15 reps. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That, that, that's, uh, that's impressive. Yeah. Now you talked about, like, I call them tow cars, like, and that's kind of yeah. backtracking a little bit. Like what opened my mind up to, you know, the feet was going through all the functional range conditioning, you know, courses with Dr. Awesome. Uh, Spina and all that. And mm -hmm. like doing all the tow cars. And I remember sitting there in, you know, the course, and I, I was sitting there with actually Garrett Salpeter, the, the founder and the CEO of NewFit, and we're sitting there together, and, like, neither one of us could lift our big toe. And I'm like, what the hell is the problem? Like, why can't I get this thing to move? Uh, <laughs> and it just it frustrated me beyond belief, but I eventually got it. Um, yeah. But, uh, it takes time, though. It does, yeah. right? It's, it's mm -hmm. like you got to dust the cobwebs off of that uh, communication line for a little bit sometimes. Mm -hmm. Good way to put it. Yeah, because you're right. You don't, you don't move something. Yeah, you don't use it. You lose it. And it's, uh, so clearly, John temporarily had lost it. So that's. Yeah, well, I mean, it, yeah. it makes sense, too. Like, I mean, I, you know, I've had a lot of ankle sprains over the years. I mean, you know, as a, you know, as a high school collegiate athlete and then, you know, living where I live. Dr. Jen, I live way out in the country, like middle of nowhere. And, uh, you know, so I'm always, you know, stepping in holes or things like that and like roll the ankles a lot of times. But it's funny. I can always I can tell like when it happens, like how the nervous system just starts to lock and shut things down. And and I don't feel like I mean, it's our job as you know practitioners to educate our clients and, and patients on that. Like, hey, there's a lot more that goes on here. But, you know, I can always tell like, hey, you know, when you roll your ankle, just the foot starts to kind of lock in. Um, 
you know, but also the soleus too. Like I've competed in bodybuilding before. And like, that's one of the things that I've noticed was just the symmetry between, you know, the gastroc and the soleus, um, you know, and I've got some discrepancy there, but of course it was all on the left side, which is usually where all the sprains and stuff occurred as well. So yeah, bodybuilding is tough too, because they're also two different muscle fibers, right? So typically we're going to see a higher, uh, percentage of type two muscle fibers in the the gastroc versus the soleus, which is soleus is 70% type one muscle fibers. So when it comes to training, we need to be looking more at endurance type of training for the soleus, which is why the high rep numbers uh, versus when we're looking at targeting the gastroc. You may have actually just asked my question. I know we were going to try to kind of wrap up on, on the, you know, the training questions, but you know, Chris, you've brought up the soleus a lot as well. And I feel like over the last couple weeks, I think Dr. Jen is here just to hammer this home and give me the final two by four across the head. Like, Hey John, the soleus is important. Pay more attention. Um, (laughs) why, 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 why is there such a heavy importance on the soleus? I mean, I think number one, when it comes to the posterior chain, right, the posterior chain gets talked about like as this like abstract thing a lot, but you know, it it is an actual structure. The way that I think about um, really any chain of muscles is a group project, right? So when I do something, when I'm like, for example, reaching for a glass of water, my brain does not fire muscles individually. It doesn't go fire your bicep and then fire your deltoid, right? It like moves everything as one. Okay, so that's where chains come in. And so when we talk about the posterior chain, the calf is part of that. Okay, and then as part of that, what group project have you ever done where it was an equal share of work? (laughs) None. Right? Okay, so the body is the same way. So typically, based on our movement story, right? Whether that's uh, habits that we've picked up, whether it's sports that we've played, whether it's injuries along the way, some kind of imbalance typically is going to be found somewhere in that chain. And so either we find that the calf, usually the gas, or sorry, usually the soleus is overworking in trying to do the work of the hamstrings and of the foot. So then that's when we see a lot of tightness, right? For example, that's going to be the people that have been stretching their calves for the last 10 years and their calves are still tight. Well, maybe we need to look at distributing that work somewhere else in the group project. Okay. Or vice versa, right? Maybe they are really good at using their hamstrings and their soleus hasn't really been uh, participating, let's say. Okay. So that's one piece of the puzzle that I look at a lot with my patients is what is the activation along that chain and how can we redistribute work so that everybody's working together. And then the other part of that is, you know, the Achilles tendon is a very, very important tendon. It's an energy storing tendon. It actually has a helical structure to it to allow it to store more energy so that we get more recoil, which means free energy, right? So when we think about like a spring, the more we can load up that spring, then the more energy we get when it snaps back. That's what makes us efficient runners and movers, right? The soleus tendon makes up two thirds of the Achilles tendon. Versus, so it's the soleus and gastroc tendons come together and they kind of rotate around each other at about 45 degrees. So of the Achilles tendon, soleus makes up two thirds, gastroc makes up one third. So here's what I took out of this. You have the cure for small calves is what you're saying. (laughs) No, what I'm saying is you might've just opened yourself up to a whole new market, doc. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, what I'm saying is you all have the cure for small calves. All you need to do is just keep training slowly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, all right. So as we wrap this up, Doc, one piece of advice. If you could, if there's one thing that the parent, the athlete, the coach takes away from today, what's that piece of advice you would give them? So one of the things that I'm really, really passionate about in my athletes, in my clients, in my patients is restoring hope. So for me, it's you can change your foot. And it's that simple, right? So like you're not stuck with the foot that you have, whether you need more mobility, whether you need more strength, um, whether, you know, we're six surgeries down the road and there's something that we can do to accommodate. There's always something we can help with. So you can change your foot. That's awesome. Thank you. I love that. That was good. There's all hope. That's, that, I love that. All right, Doc, where can people find you? So uh, Gate Happens, we are an online company. So we are all over the world. Uh, GateHappens.com is the best way to find us. Uh, we also do courses for practitioners. So there's a map on our website if you want to find somebody that's local to you. We have a list of people, literally all, all the continents. Um, there's people that are trained by Gate Happens. So check it out. You know, If you happen to be in the Colorado area, then my, me and my husband have a practice called Kinetic Chiropractic in Lafayette. Awesome. Dr. Jen, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to join us. This was awesome. Yeah, th- thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I hope uh, I hope you guys all get a chance to go back and watch the video. So. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. We're going to put well, Thank you so much, Doc. And guys, that is the show. Guys, remember, pay your dues and uh, go give Doc Jen a follow as well. That's the show, guys. <laughs>